Welcome to From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. It isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how do we respond? Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. And now, here is your host, Dave Hollenbach. Today, I'm talking with Patrick Fitzgibbons. He is the podcast host for Criminal Justice Evolution Podcast. He is an author, a coach, an educator, a retired law enforcement officer, I um let's see I just downloaded the the one book that you you offer for free mm-hmm. um I sorry I haven't started it yet I wanted no, to read it fine. before we we talk but um you know you've been you've been doing your podcast for mm-hmm. about 5 years now yeah. how, how did you get started in the podcast game you know, that's a great question, man. I mean, I, you know, thanks for having me on, by the way. I appreciate it. Honored to be on your show. And, uh, you know, I just started, uh, like you said, about five years ago, because, you know, I'm a big, I listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, you know, like, you know, Joe Rogan, Lewis Howes, all these people, Gary V. I was constant. I still to this day, listen to a lot of podcasts. And I remember driving around one night, you know, and I was working and I said, you know, uh, I wonder if I could do that. You know, there wasn't a lot of uh, law enforcement, criminal justice podcasts at the time. And uh, I just went for it, man, and, and did it and just kind of learned along the way. I'm still learning. Uh, but that was, uh, you know, five years ago, and I'm about uh, over 400 episodes deep now. And my show is just, you know, it's a criminal justice show, obviously, but I talk a lot about uh, self-improvement and mindset and all these other things uh, that first responders desperately need. And I know they're getting, you know, different doses of it from different areas, but I, I wanted to continue to give back to, uh, you know, the profession that was so good to me over the years. And yeah, it's been a great ride, man. As you know, uh, being a fellow podcaster, I mean, it's, uh, it's great, man. I get to interview great people and learn along the way. I'm, I learn from every guest that comes on the show. So it's been a wild ride, man. And uh, I'm busy. I think I'm more busier now than when I was working. So <laughs> now, how, how many years did you, you do in uh, law enforcement? Uh, 23. 23. So 23 years, I started, you know, like, like most do uh, on patrol and uh, worked my way up through the ranks and uh, was a detective and street supervisor. And I retired as an operations commander, and that's kind of different in different departments, but I was in charge of the operations of the police department, which a big part of that is uh, patrol. So, you know, I did that for a while and uh, decided to take my exit, and, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a great ride. I had a great career, ups and downs like any career, but uh, it, it was a great ride. All of your time uh, spent there in Colorado? Yeah, my whole law enforcement career was in Colorado, two different agencies. And then uh, I also spent some time in the military down at uh, North Carolina uh, at the 82nd or with the 82nd Airborne down at Fort Bragg. So I always nice. knew I wanted to be a cop. So I got out of the military and, and just went after it. Did you do a four year enlistment? Yeah. 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 I was in the Army with uh, the 82nd, jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. 
do you have uh like family history of military that kind of thing yeah my 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 dad was a, a career uh, military officer he was a jag officer for those of you who don't know what that is that's a lawyer in the military uh he started off in the army actually got drafted during vietnam never went over to vietnam but uh he got drafted during the vietnam era and spent a career going through the ranks uh, at one point in his career he got out of the army went into the air force and retired as a colonel in the air force and uh, yeah, he was a JAG officer. Uh, and then I have, uh, you know, officer, or officer, you know, police officer blood in my blood because I have a lot of relatives, uh, cousins and uncles that were police officers in Chicago. So, I mean, yeah, it's in my blood. Uh, I always wanted to, I always knew I wanted to serve in some capacity. Um, I joined the military kind of late, later on than most people in 21, which is when I was 21, which is old compared to, you know, some of these kids going in now. But yeah, I mean, I did my time in the military and knew I wanted to pursue a, a, you know, a career in law enforcement and uh, the rest is history. Nice. Now, a lot of what I talk about uh, on my show is, is leadership, leadership mm -hmm. development and being a, being a coach and an educator. I'm sure you talk with your, with your clients about uh, self-leadership and, mm -hmm. and emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and, um, and I would imagine that a lot of your leadership philosophy stems directly from your time, well, probably growing up with uh, your dad, probably it was a big influence on you. Oh, yeah. And then your time in the military and your time as a law enforcement officer moving up through the ranks. Mm -hmm. um, could you give me a sense of your personal leadership philosophy and maybe some of your influences that, that shaped that? That's a great question. And like, like I said, I mean, a lot of it was, was military, a lot of military influence. Uh, obviously my father was a big influence on me and law enforcement. I mean, leadership is a constant, you know, I mean, I was always striving uh, to, to grow professionally. You mentioned EQ or emotional intelligence. A lot of good leadership is based on that. Uh, it's something that we didn't talk about emotional intelligence when I was, you know, a young officer, but it's, it's, you know, it's a cornerstone of good leadership. Now, you know, I believe my leadership philosophy as a, you know, as, you know, as, as one of the senior officers in my department is, look, I'm a pretty uh, collaborative, you know, democratic leader. I always like to tell my, my, my uh, troops, meaning I, I think, you know, the, the more ideas, the more information you have, the more collaboration that you have with your peers and your subordinates, I think the better decisions you're going to make. I can be, uh, I can go into an, uh, you know, uh, an autonomous role where I, I have to make decisions very, very quickly. And I can do that. And I, that's just the way I was trained. That's how I was brought up. But my leadership style, like I said, brother, is one of, you know, being collaborative. Most of the time in law enforcement, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, your listeners know it, maybe they don't. You have time on your side, believe it or not. So you can collaborate, you can ask questions, you know, you can get some bounce ideas off people. Uh, so that's that's my leadership style. And it served me well over the years. And again, not that I can't make decisions that I do all the time, you know, if I have to split second, but I always, my, my philosophy was always, you know, I just want to surround myself with good people, people who are, you know, going to, you know, you know, collaborate with me, bounce ideas off me. And, I, you know, I, I remember a, a time that's sticking in my mind right now when you know, I was in a room with a bunch of, you know, junior officers. And of course, I was the senior guy in the room and I was in charge and I was asking him, you know, what do they think about, you know, this, this thing, this problem or issue that was coming up. And I, you know, I asked one of the officers and he said, well, sir, you're in charge. You know, I said, well, I know I'm in charge. You don't have to remind me I'm in charge, but I want to hear your opinions. Because I think the more opinions you have and the more ideas you have, 
you're going to make better decisions. So I hope I answered your question. Uh, that's part of my leadership style. And again, that served me well, you know, over the years. Can you talk about some of your, your influences and um, you know, maybe people along the way, whether it's people that you led or people that uh, were mentors of you, yours. That... Yeah. I mean, I had, uh, my first chief of police was a huge mentor and coach of mine and he had a great leadership style part. A lot of it was like, I just said, you know, kind of a collaborative kind of leadership role, but he could switch on that, you know, uh, autonomous role when he had to, he was a big mentor, big, big, uh, influence in my law enforcement career. You know, a, a lot of people that when I was a young officer, a lot of sergeants, a couple sergeants in particular, uh, you know, there were big influences on me and they, you know, they, they kind of took me under their wing and, you know, they were, they were positive influences. And when I say positive in law enforcement, I always tell young officers, you know, you want to align yourself up with the people that are the go-getters that are the take charge that are, have a positive attitude. Law enforcement's just like any other job, brother, where you get in some departments on all departments, you get people who want to be there. And then you get people who don't want to be there, or maybe they're just retired on duty and they're just, you know, collecting a paycheck and their attitude kind of sucks. So I had those type of, you know, choices to make in my early in my law enforcement career. And I was blessed and fortunate to seek out those mentors, whether it be, and they didn't even have to have rank either. I mean, a lot of the people, my influences when, you know, I was coming up through the ranks in law enforcement were just fellow officers, but they had that innate leadership quality that I, you know, I wanted to build on you know, coming out of the military. So, I mean, I had a ton of influences, you know, you know, growing in, in my career and throughout my life. And I continue to have those. And that's another, that's a great, I'm glad you asked that because for the listeners, you know, I mean, there's so many, there's so much information around you, especially now within the digital age we live in. And I always tell people, it doesn't matter what age you are. I mean, I have mentors right now, people that I, you know, that I look up to that I routinely bounce ideas off and get advice from. So it's never too late to, to get a mentor or a coach, you know, I mean, but you just got to have that open mind, you know, you got to be able to, to say, Hey, I want to continue to learn. But I had a lot of coaches and a lot of mentors, um, you know, in my life, you can't do it alone. I know some people think you can't, you know, they can, but the reality is it's a team effort. Uh, you know, every successful person out there, it took a team, you know, it took mentors and coaches and so hell Tiger Woods has a coach. And I, and I mean, all these top athletes, I mean, you, that's another way to look at it. I mean, everybody has a coach and a mentor. And like I said, Tiger Woods, he's got a, he got a fitness coach, a, you know, a golf coach. You're thinking, well, he was the number one player in the world. Yeah. He still has a coach. He's, he still has a coach because he's constantly striving to get better. So yeah, I had many a coaches brother throughout my career, personal and professional uh, still do. Uh, and yeah, I mean, they, they serve me well and, but you got to have that open mind. Now I, I noticed that, um, well, I, I might be wrong. I might've read it wrong, but it, it appeared that you've got two master's degrees. Actually I have three. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, um, why three and, and, uh, can you talk about how that, higher education has shaped um, your professional career and your, and your personal life? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, why three? I, I don't know why sometimes, but I just love education. And I saw another degree that I wanted to, to go after and, and I went for it. I, I think I'm done with degrees now, but uh, yeah, I got plenty of them. I wish I could put them all together and get a, you know, cash them in for a PhD, but I can't do that. But uh, yeah, I'm a big, I mean, I love education. Uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong learner. 
uh, actually went to Northwestern uh, University when I was a commander, their staff and command school. So that's another thing that I did. Uh, that was a certificate program, a very rigorous program. It was kind of like the, you know, the FBI Academy. Uh, I don't know if you know this brother, but every year, you know, departments send, you know, a couple of people from each department around the country into the FBI Academy. It's not to become agents, but to learn the FBI way. And Northwestern is kind of along those lines. But yeah, I, I love education. I've been teaching, uh, you know, on the college level for over a decade now. And, you know, that was part of the reasons why I kept going after more education, because you need that education to, to teach on the, on the college level. And uh, it served me well. Like I said, I, I tell, you know, uh, young officers to, to, you know, to go after that college education, because a lot of departments require college now. And uh, definitely, if you want to go through, you know, throughout the ranks, they're, you know, in most departments, you know, you got to have at least a master's degree to, to get those higher, uh, you know, echelon positions like commander or deputy chief or even chief. So, you know, it served me well, man. And like I said, I, I, I love education. Uh, I'm an educator now, you know, teaching on the, on the college level. And uh, yeah, I, I like it very much. And I, again, I, it's a great question. I, I often get that. Why three master's degrees? Well, because I could. And, uh, <laughs> but I'm done with the formal education now, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. Yeah, I, um, when I started working on my master's degree, I did it reluctantly mm -hmm. and thank God I did the, the value that I got out of it yeah. was something that I was not, uh, not really aware would, would come, you know, mm -hmm. I, I just did it cause I didn't want there to be uh an obstacle in my way when i if i decided to move up in the ranks and yeah. uh, and then the value that i got from it and uh, it's just it's served me well like you said and uh the the one thing that i, I wanted to touch on is a lot of the books that i've read on leadership and it, you know whether it uh, be authored by uh, a military leader or uh, somebody that teaches leadership, uh, s somebody that um, goes out and lectures uh, business leaders on how to be better leaders. These books, without fail, somewhere in there, it'll say that leaders read and leaders yeah. teach. And I, I've only come across a couple of people that when I talk to them about their leadership philosophy and how they've developed, there's only a couple of them that are like, well, you know, never really read a whole lot. But the, the thing is, is that they actually did. They just don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the education that they did, they were constantly training. Mm -hmm. So they were reading the materials for those courses, sure. but they don't view it as like reading to develop as a leader. Yeah. However, that's really what helped shape them. Um, what are some of the, the books that uh, you've got on your bookshelf that have, that have helped you along the way? You know, just so many, you know, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Colonel Dave Grossman's a, a friend of mine and, you know, I've read a lot of his stuff. 
you know, just a lot and Tony Robbins and things like that. I mean, not necessarily now, some people might be listening and say, wait a minute, I can be not reading, you know, books on law enforcement, because I think there's so much more out there. As a matter of fact, a lot of what law enforcement has now, and along the way, they've got from the private sector. So, you know, I mean, so I read a lot of, of things now, you know, that are, are from, you know, I'm uh, reading a book or I read a book, um, what's his name, uh, Ray Dalio. Yeah, hedge fund guy, but he one of the richest guys in the world, a multi-billionaire. He started a, a hedge fund, you know, years ago, and so he he talked. And then what does that have to do with law enforcement? Well, he talks about leadership, and he talks about these principles. That's in fact, that's the name of the book, Principles. And so I'm I read all the time, and I'm constantly reading. But I'm I'm reading a lot more uh, nowadays. I'm reading uh, a lot more uh, self-help like, uh, you know, ways to improve your mind and mindset and stuff like that. Because I think a lot of leadership uh, is not only theory and reading, which is good, but I think a lot of it's mindset too. I mean, I think, you know, how you think, what's going on between the six inches between your ears and how you look at life. And uh, I'm a big believer in law of attraction. You know, what you put out there, you're going to get back. And I think that uh, I didn't used to believe that, but uh, I, I do now. So to answer your questions, yeah, I got a lot of books behind me. Uh, a wide variety of books, you know, you know, like I said, I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan, Lewis Howes fan, uh, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, I read a lot of his stuff, James Altucher was on my show, uh, Choose Yourself was a great book I recommend. Um, a lot of, a lot of, you know, you wouldn't think of, think of them as the typical leadership book, but they're, they're great books because they're coming from these influencers and these entrepreneurs that uh, really, really have some good insight to, to leadership. And of course, I love the law enforcement aspect of it too. You know, I mean, I, uh, you know, I read, uh, you know, some law enforcement stuff still, because I like to keep up on my toes. And I mentioned, you know, Colonel Dave Grossman, uh, great guy, um, Gil Martin, Dr. Kevin Gil Martin just read uh, Emotional Wellness for First Responders a, a couple of weeks ago again. So those are all leadership books, indirectly, directly, there are leadership books, you know, so I, I love reading and, and I read all the time. And I'm in, I don't know about you, brother, but I, I tend to, you know, start a book and then I, I, you know, I read like a quarter of it and then I put it down and start another book and then I go back to that book. So I got a lot of different books going on uh, at once most of the time. I'm, I'm the exact same way. I've got uh, my Kindle somewhere, yeah. you know, plus the Audible. Oh, yeah, so, so do I. Yeah, it's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, where I was going with this, because, and you hit the nail on the head with mindset, and um, I, I've talked to quite a few different people about that particular aspect of leadership, how you mm -hmm. carry yourself, your, the way that you approach issues, problems, your relationships, all that. And one of the things that I've, I've studied and, and written about is philosophy and one of the, so years ago when i first started studying leadership i came across this lecture on the uh, united states naval academy website and it was this lecture that I, I blew my mind and then it was nested in this one section of the website uh, that fell under the uh, School of Leadership, the uh, Admiral James Stockdale Leadership mm -hmm. Academy, or I don't remember exactly the name of 
what that is, but it's it's named after Admiral James Stockdale. Mm-hmm. So I started reading about him because shit, you know, the the Navy has their leadership school for their officers named after this guy. So he he must must be important. Yeah. So I started reading about him. And uh, one of the things that he talks about is his study of stoicism, mm-hmm. uh, stoic philosophy. Yeah, and yeah. and then the the parallels to stoic philosophy and what a lot of um, mental health professionals use today for treatment of PTSD for first responders is that cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. which is rooted in stoic philosophy and it's all about how you approach those things that you have control over and the things that you don't have control over and it ties in to that mindset of never giving up there there is no quit there there is no failure unless you give up yeah and i was just curious as to um your your thoughts on on mindset how you shape it and what the most effective mindset for a leader in public service yeah would be. great question and it's interesting you mentioned mentioned stoicism i just i have a seneca book around here somewhere where he was a great stoic yeah. mindset is everything brother i mean it is now if you would have if you would have talked to me about mindset, I don't know, decade ago, 10 years ago, I would have been like, what are you talking about? Meditation, flowing robes, all this other crap. <laughs> no, not for me. You know, I was in a, one of the toughest military units in, in the military and we just dealt with shit. We didn't deal with, you know, the same with law enforcement, you know, a new officer, you just dealt with it. And there really wasn't an outlet, you know, at least then there is now more outlets in, you know, where we recognize PTSD and, and we have, we have uh, you know, peer support groups and all that stuff which is great. What I tell people is you need to, you need to start and practice, have a mindfulness practice that uh, you do every day. I do every day. I mean, the, and it has helped me tremendously, man. I'm telling you, I mean, there's a reason why spec op guys now and, you know, NFL teams and all these other sports teams are practicing mindfulness because it works. The science, the science backs it up. Uh, I mentioned law of attraction before, you know, I tell people, and this is in the you know, if you ever read the book, The Secret, I would recommend uh, people do that, right? Rhonda Byrne, but she talks about law of attraction. Look, you're a human magnet. You know, what you put out there, you're going to get back. You, you attract things. If, you, if you're negative and pissed off all the time, you're going to get that in return. If you're happy and, you know, generally positive, not living in a bubble, you have, everybody has bad days. I do, you do probably. But overall, if you're happy, you're going to probably get that in return. So mindfulness is, is everything. Now, how, do, how does that equate to, to law enforcement? It equates to law enforcement because we are in an inherently negative environment. That's just the nature of the job. You know, I mean, that's just the job. Nobody calls the cops when everything is going great. They, they call the cops when you know what hits the fan. So over the years, that negativity, the death, the trauma, the pain and suffering, as you probably know, and it's going to wear on you. I know it did me. And, you know, I suffered from depression and PTSD and all these other things that I've seen and got help for it. Thank God I did. But there was a point in my life where I was like, okay, I can stay on this journey, this road right here, or I can kind of start changing the way I think, realizing that the world doesn't suck. Everybody doesn't suck. 
because that's going to affect your relationships. I did mine. I mentioned that when we started, brother, that I'm a blended family, got divorced after 20 years of marriage. And a lot of that was due to my mindset, negative mindset, you know, uh, and I'm not blaming the profession for that. I'm blaming myself because I allowed it. The, the, the point I'm trying to make is that we're in a negative environment. Now you can let that eat you away. You can let that grind at you. You can let that affect you or you can change your mindset. Look, there's a lot of shit we can't control in the world, but the six inches between your ears, you can. And you can control whether or not you want to be pissed off when you wake up in the morning or whether or not you want to have a good day. You know, nobody controls your happiness, but you. Right. Nobody, nobody does. I mean, a lot of people look for, you know, relationships. They look, oh, I'm going to make money. Once I make, once I make money, I'm going to, shit, everything's going to be fine. No, it won't unless you change your mindset. Right. So that, you know, I, I was at a point like that in my career, brother, and I shifted my mindset, taking care of myself better, physically eating better, getting sleep. Sleep is golden to me now. It didn't used to be when I was a young cop, you know, four or five hours of sleep. I'm Superman. I can, I can deal with that. Yeah. You know, that's how I was conditioned in the military. Two or three hours of sleep. Good to go. It's yeah, not yeah. good for you. It's not good for you. <laughs> and that affects your mindset. It affects everything. So uh, again, I tell people all the time, you know, well, I don't have time to, to meditate. Bullshit. You got time. Make five, five minutes a day. Five, quit binging on Netflix and start working on yourself. You know, so everything in my world now revolves around mindset. Do I have bad days? Absolutely. But most of my days are good. 99% of them are good. 98% because I fall back to that mindfulness. And I tell people all the time, you know, well, you know, I, my job sucks. Okay. At least you have a job. Well, you know, this sucks. At least, okay, you're alive, right? You should be grateful for that. So gratefulness and being grateful and mindfulness practices, those are all part of the mindfulness like we've been talking about. So, um, you know, I'm grateful for, for everything in my life. First of all, being and be able to sit here and talk to you. And so for the people out there that, well, you know, my life sucks. Okay, well, you're alive. That's a good thing to be grateful for. I don't know if you've ever, you know who James uh, or Gary Vaynerchuk is. He gave this keynote speech a couple years back. And he comes out and he says, 400 trillion to one. You know what that is? 400 trillion to one? That's the chances of you being born. That's, I'm not making up that shit. It's statistically, that's the statistics. So when I first heard that years ago, I was like, holy crap. That really kind of puts a different perspective on things, right? So you're alive, right? <laughs> you're alive. So if you look at the statistical probability, it's relatively low. But a lot of us take it for granted. I know I do sometimes, but then I come back to, wait a minute, you know, life is short. I'm grateful to be here. And statistically, I shouldn't be here, but I'm, but I'm glad I'm here. So you have much to live for. Start being grateful. That all ties into mindfulness. Yeah. You mentioned Seneca. <clears throat> yeah. One of the things that, uh, that I've taken from, from his writings is that recommendation uh, to essentially journal mm -hmm. you know you write oh absolutely man write your goals out in the morning like these are the these are the things that i want to keep present in my mind yeah. there you go yeah <laughs> journal and then before you go to bed write down the things that went well the things that exactly didn't actually turn out the way you were hoping but you you balance the ledger for the day 
and you can sleep better at night. And exactly right, man. And I'm glad you you brought that up, brother. I mean, journaling is is so important. Again, this is one of the things I never thought was very important, but I've been journaling for years now. And it does. It, it lets me, I like what you, yeah, you start out, what I do is I start out, you know, and, you know, the first thing on my journal is the things I'm grateful for. What do I want to accomplish today? You know, and then at the end, and there's more to that, but you get the gist. And then at the end of the day, like you said, I go through, okay, again, what am I grateful for? How, do, how well, you know, what, what would I have liked to think, you know, what could I control differently during the day? I could have done better, stuff like that. And then I do that. And then when I go to bed, you know, I visualize maybe, maybe I could have handled a situation differently. So when I go to bed, I think of how I could have handled it differently than I did. And I imagine how I could have done that. I know it sounds weird. And then I, I always top off the, the night before I go to sleep with, you know, okay, tomorrow's gonna be a great day, grateful to, uh, for this day I have right now. And I wake up refreshed, you know, jazz and start the process over. And you mentioned, I'm so glad you mentioned journaling because the science proves that the more we write down, whether it's goals or whatever, when we see it in writing, or it's more apt to, to come to fruition rather than I can't remember shit. I'm getting too old. I can't remember all the stuff that's going on in my head. If I have a goal in my head, I have to write it down. Visualization, you know, you can't see it right here, but I got a vision board right in front of me right now. And so on my wall. So, and I have it on my wallpaper too. So I recommend people not only journal, but visualize. Visualization is key. And I talk about that in my book. I talk about it with people I talk to. You have to visualize what you want in life. Now, there's a caveat. It comes with action. You can visualize, but you have to follow it up with action. And statistics, again, science, you know, the more you visualize and the more you back it up with, with action, it's probably going to come true. So write down your goals. I would encourage people to do a vision board. Again, if you would ask me this a couple of years ago, what are you talking about? Collage and shit like that. But it's worked for me. And, it, and it, yeah, you go. There you go, man. So you and I, I mean, we're on the same page, brother. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. just, it, it's just a matter. It's just a matter of uh, trying to convince other people. Because I was a cynic, you know, like most people. Well, I shouldn't say like most people. I was a cynic, you know, starting out going, eh, stuff doesn't work. It works. Yeah. And the more you're grateful you are, the more that's going to, the more it's going to come into your life. You know, and like I said, one of the things, you know, I did in law enforcement, and again, this isn't a dig on first responders, but I started associating myself with people outside of law enforcement. And that's what I would recommend for people in the profession, especially the people that have been doing it a while, especially those people that have become jaded and kind of cynical and things, things like that. And again, this isn't a dig on law enforcement. I love the brave men and women in you know, the first responder community. But what helped me and what's helped friends that I've seen is when they get friends outside of law enforcement. Because then you get a different perspective on things. There used to be a time I wouldn't associate with somebody who didn't have a gun and a badge. And I admit that. I didn't trust them. You're, you're you. I'm me. You know, you're, you're them. You know, it's us against them kind of stuff. Until my wife said, you know, I want you to meet some of my friends. And initially I was like, you know, I don't know. No, I don't do that. You know, they're probably criminals. I got to run them, you know, all that stuff. I need the DOPs <laughs> and all this other shit. Until I started going out with them and I started opening up my mind and realizing these are actually good people. In fact, most people out there, in my opinion, are good people. It's just as law enforcement, we're dealing with the 10% or whatever percentage, the repeat offenders, and that just jades us. 
Yeah. You know, it, it did me for many years until I changed my mindset and started, you know, listening to books that were filling me up, not draining me and associating with people who were lifting me up, not draining me. You know, there's a saying out there by Jim Rohn, you're, you're the average of the five people you associate with. I agree with that 100%, 110%. Who's your tribe? Who are you associating with? Are those people lifting you up or are they bringing you down? You know, and realize as you grow and you move throughout life, those pe people are probably going to come in and out of your life. But I would encourage people out there that who have toxic relationships and, and toxic friendships, you don't need those people in your life. I know that sounds curt and it sounds shitty, but you should be selfish when it comes to who you're associating yourself with. Yeah. You should. It's your life. When somebody calls me up, friend or relatives calls me up and just is, wants to dump on me and toxic, not that I can't listen to people, but if it's happening all the time, you don't need that person in your life. And sometimes it's hard, you know, especially when it's family. Look, you can love family members. You don't have to hang out with them all the time if they're toxic. There's no rule saying, well, you got to listen to my shit because we're brother and sister. No, no, there's no rule. You control who you allow into your inner circle. You can control that. But so many people I talk to, well, you know, I can't offend them. They might get mad. Ooh, can't have that. You have to be very, very conscious about who you are associating yourself with. Well, how does that tie into leadership? It has everything to do with leadership. How does that tie with mindset? It has everything to do with mindset. You know, it does. Yeah. If you are around people that are happy and positive, guess what? That shit's going to rub off on you. If you're around negative people, guess what? The opposite. And that, that affects leadership. Yeah. That affects leadership, you know, and it's going to affect the way you, you, you lead people. It's going to affect your decisions. You know, it's going to affect everything. So I'm a big believer, as you can tell, pretty passionate about mindset and, and gratitude and practices and, and all that stuff, because it is so important to leadership, especially in these days, you know, with COVID and all this other stuff going on in the, in the world, where people are isolated, they're, you know, they're depressed and stuff like that. You gotta, you gotta get out. You gotta surround yourself with people who are lifting you up and, and say goodbye to the people that are, that are bringing you down. Sorry, I went on a rant. No, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to, I wanted to talk a little bit about your book. How, mm -hmm. um, how did you shameless plug right here? So I, I got out of uh, law enforcement, retired in 2019. And, you know, one of the first things I wanted to do was write a book. Like I said, I had a great career and I wanted to continue to give back. So uh, Evolve is an acronym, actually. And it's just a small little micro book. I'll send you a copy, brother. And well, you downloaded yep, the ebook e version, but it's, you know, it's, it's not a very long book. We know cops can't read. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's about, uh, it's about 57 pages. And Evolve, like I said, is an acronym. And so I talk about my career a little bit and I give some advice, some things I've learned along the way. So the E is elevate. Elevate your mindset. We've been talking about it a lot. Elevate. So that's the E. You know, V is visualize, which we've been talking about, you know, because I love visualization. But again, you got to pack that up with action. Right. O is for others. You know, who you're surrounding yourself with. Very important. You know, L is love yourself. Because if you, if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love everybody else? If you don't have faith in your abilities and faith in, in, in doing a good job and all this other stuff, it deals with love. So if you don't love yourself first, how are you going to love anybody else? 
And so V is victory. Celebrate those victories every day. You have all these victories to celebrate. Waking up, that's a victory. You know, having a job, having a loving family, friendships, those are all victories that you have to celebrate. And E is every day be your best. So I wrote a micro book that ties in with my coaching. Uh, but again, I, I, I just wanted to, to do some, and it really, it's not just for, for it's for really for anybody, but I aimed it at first responders since my background is, is you know, law enforcement. But yeah, I had a great time, uh, you know, writing the book. My wife, thank God for her. She's the one that kind of looked at, you know, editing and saying, wait a minute, you, you're a dumbass. This is spelled wrong. You need to do this, you know, and stuff like that. So God bless her, help me. And then uh, again, it was published. Performance publishing are awesome. There's a plug. Uh, and again, I'm uh, just happy that I did it because it was like, I wanted to continue to give back. And of course, it's on my website. Uh, if anybody wants a signed copy, they just reach out to me. But uh, I would encourage everybody to write, especially first responders. I mean, whatever it's fire, EMS, police, I mean, everybody, everybody has a book in them, I think, at some point with all the stuff they see and experiences they go through. But it was a wild ride, man. Did it, wrote the book in, a, in about six months. So it was good. Nice. One of the things that, uh, that, that leads me to is your coaching. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about somebody that you've coached that not only for you, but for that individual, it was life-changing that go ahead. You know, I was, you know, I, I can think of one, I won't name names, but I can think of one uh, last year, towards the end of last year, I coached this individual, this uh, guy who, you know, was, you know, thinking about retiring, you know, he did 15 years and, and was, you know, kind of, uh, it was tired of law enforcement, that happens, you know, people get burned out. I mean, I, and not just in law enforcement, but, you know, other uh, first responder fields. So he contacted me and say, hey, man, I, I you know, I listen to your stuff, you know, I love it. I want, I want to work with you. And so long story short, his main crux was, you know, thinking that he was pigeonholed. He was, he was pigeonholed to believing that he couldn't do anything else. You know, law enforcement, man, I just, I'm just too set in my ways and I can't do anything else. I'm not smart enough. And so, you know, a big part of that brother is tearing down those misconceptions, those mis, you know, those, those beliefs that this person, and there's plenty of people out there like that, that, that build this, false perception or false image of themselves where you know they can't they can't do anything else and one of the problems and we just hit on it a, a couple moments ago is he, he was surrounding yourself himself with people that were telling him oh shit man you can't do anything else you're just a cop you've been a cop you you can't do anything else hey i guarantee you dude he had people telling this that you're going to be back <laughs> you're going to go ahead and retire and then you're going to be back the next day so like we've been talking about, I had to kind of teach him to deprogram program himself to the believing that he he could do whatever he wanted. He could have a second career. This guy wanted to go and start uh, his own uh, catering business, you know, and because he loved to cook. And I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty cool, you know, for law enforcement to catering. Long story short, he has that business now. And it's not because of me necessarily. It's because I just gave him the tools and I kind of gave him the confidence. You know, I mean, coaches, that's, you know, Coaches don't really, I mean, yeah, they give advice and they mentor and stuff, but you have the magic. It's in you to do the work. So it was, I was just giving them some tools, how to break down those, those barriers. And I know I've been there. And one of those was, you know, quit hanging around with the people that are telling you you can't do it. 
you know, and you can do anything you want. My God, you're a first responder, dude. I mean, you were running into shit when people were running away. First responders, it never ceases to amaze me that so many of them, they, they get, uh, and I get it. They, they have this limited belief that they can't do much else. And I try to, I mean, look, man, how many, you are a rare breed. You know that. How many people run into danger? Not very much. You can do anything you want in your life. So it's a matter of just coaching and giving people tools to unlock that potential inside of them. And long story short, this guy has his own food truck now. Very successful. And uh, yeah, and but again, it wasn't necessarily me. He had the magic in him all the time. He had the potential. It's just a matter of kind of giving him that nudge. And so that's just one example, you know, and, you know, but a lot of it is, you know, people transitioning from law enforcement into the private sector or starting, you know, being entrepreneurs or doing whatever. You mentioned my book. Well, you know, I, I had people that I was reaching out to, you know, and my coaches were like, man, do it. You can do anything you want. You're, you know, you had a great career. You were military. You, you just, you just have to, you know, you have to believe and visualize you're going to do that. And that's a lot of it, man. I mean, but again, a lot of it is, you know, we just, we just build up these walls that we, we can't, you know, do something. And then it's conditioning. I mean, think about it this way, brother, you got a kid, I have kids, you know, imagine, you know, how, how fearless was your, how fearless were you, for example, when you were a kid, I was pretty fearless. I mean, cause as a toddler, you can do anything, right? There's no barriers. There's no walls. Yeah. It's only as we go older, people are telling you, you can't do it. And they're instilling their insecurities in on you or in you. And that's, you know, look at it. You want to see joy and happiness and a zest for life. Look at a kid. You know, they, they're not, they're not conditioned yet. That's how we should all be as adults. Right. I mean, then you, that's when you should really start living life, but too, too often we get conditioned, whether it's a job, whether it's a sibling, whether it's parents, as we grow older, not all of us, but a lot of us look at how many people, brother, two thirds of people out there hate their jobs. Two people, I mean, too many people go to their jobs every day and say, I hate this shit. Yeah. I don't want to do it. Well, why? Well, because a lot of them are following their dreams of somebody else that wanted them to, they wanted them to take this role. They're not following their own dreams. So again, what's, what's the saying? If you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. I'm doing what I love right now. I love what I'm doing, you know, and you find that bliss, man. You know, find that thing that gets you up in the morning. Life's too short to be saying, yeah, shit, I hate my job, but you got to have a paycheck. And I get that. You got to pay the bills. But if you're unhappy, do go get another job. Or if you're unhappy in a relationship, get out of the relationship. There's, yeah, does it suck? Yeah, I've been there. Went through a divorce. It sucks, but I'm happier for it. Yeah. You know, so you got to take those steps. That goes into that action. Nothing's going to fall in your lap. Right. You know, nothing's going to fall in your lap. I wanted to... Um, I don't know, I guess dig a little bit deeper into your law enforcement background and just, uh, you know, hypothetically, if you had an unlimited budget and you could make some significant changes to law enforcement in the United States, what, what would be your main priority? Wow. That's a, that's a great question. I mean, there's so many uh, different thing. I mean, uh, off the top of my head, uh, I would spend a limited budget. I would send, I spend a lot more on officer wellness and, and, you know, like we've been talking about, uh, you know, having resources, a lot more resources for mindfulness programs for officers. I would cover that a lot more in academies, you know, because I, I used to teach in the academy, instruct in the police academy and that, 
that topic of self-care it's it's covered now but it, very little of it is devoted now in curriculum and i get it there's post requirements and hourly requirements i get that but if i had an unlimited budget i would spend a lot more uh money and resources on you know you know officer care and stuff and i know we do to some degree but we could be doing a, a hell of a lot more look people are our officers are, are committing suicide at, at alarming rates as you probably know, 2019 is off to a horrible start, or 2021. 2020 was was horrible year in, in terms of officer suicide. So I would spend a lot more uh, in in terms of mindfulness, you know, and in in teaching officers to better take care of themselves, you know. And I, I know that's a hot topic now. I know people are talking about it, but are we really doing it? Well, if you have an unlimited budget, that's the one thing I would focus on. And of course, all the other stuff, the skills training, that's all important. But if you don't have you know, mentally fit, I'm not saying officers aren't there aren't mentally fit, but if you have officers that are struggling out there, which a lot are on various levels, um, again, that's going to impact everything else. So I would, I would spend a lot more, like I said, on officer wellness and self-care and a lot more education on that, a lot more resources for officers, because the, the point is, brother, people are getting out. I mean, there's, there's people not knocking. I mean, it is so hard now, because uh, I used to be in charge of recruiting to, you know, and that was before COVID and George Floyd and all these high, other high profile incidents. It, it was hard. I mean, we've seen, you know, recruitment going down and down over the years. Now, you know, people are getting out. Most cops I know are looking for an exit ramp. They want out for whatever reason. A lot of it is, you know, they just don't like the environment, you know, I mean, anti-police sentiment. So I would spend a lot more on self-care. And like I said, and, and getting resources to the officers because the bottom line, that's what I was alluding to is people aren't knocking down the door to become cops anymore. I mean, a lot are, thank God for them, but we don't have the, at least in my, my world right here in the part of the world I'm at, it's very, very hard to, uh, to keep, uh, to recruit for one and keep and retain good officers. Not that, you know, every good officer is leaving, but again, I would spend a lot more on you know, wellness and self-care and, and things like that. That's got to be a priority, man, in my, in my point of view. And I, I, uh, I thought of this maybe a week ago, because I've had this conversation several times about that stigma surrounding actually mm -hmm. seeking help. Yeah. Um, and maybe even thinking, well, man, if I, if I go and get help, I'm going to be labeled this way, mm. weak, broken, whatever. Um, but then even if you're taking a green recruit and talking to them about this stuff, because I know when I was going through the fire academy and, and going through orientation when I got hired, the last thing on my mind was the, the cumulative effect. Mm -hmm of seeing what I was seeing, because at that time, that's what I got in the job for. I was gung ho, you know, I wanted to get dirty. I wanted to help people. I knew I was gonna see stuff. And so my mindset, I don't even know if any amount of education would have stuck with me at that point, mm -hmm. because I'd be like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm tough. And- yeah. So I think without a doubt, we need more education, more training, that kind of thing. I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I, I don't know uh, how you would 
break down that wall, that that machismo, that kind of like tough guy yeah. mentality, you know, and what what do you think about that? Well, I think, you know, and I, and I understand where you're coming from. I mean, you know, I mean, that's, and I was, the, I was the same way. And, and, but like you said, it's a cumulative effect. So what I would do is, you know, bring in people that were, you know, these tough guys and I'm not discounting toughness. It's very important, but bring down people who have, you know, had that approach you know, as a, you know, that it, it, like me, you know, that it, it was a cumulative effect. Look, I was, I was hardcore, man. I mean, I'm old now, but when I was a young cop, I was young and a gun and, and, you know, and then it was a cumulative effect. And I have no problem going in and talking to people and saying, look, guys, I mean, I know you, you got a whole career in front of you and women, you got a whole career in front of you. I know, I know you want to go out there and do what you want to do, but you have to take this stuff seriously. You have to get debriefed and, you know, you have to, when you go through an OIS or a critical incident, you have to take that, you have to talk to somebody, you have to do that. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but I would recommend you talk to somebody and get that out because when you keep that stuff in, man, as you know, that stuff is going to, it, it's going to spill over and it will eventually. So I agree with you. You know, it's hard to get through that younger officer or firefighter, their mindset, but I think we can be doing a lot more and bringing in, you know, do briefing trainings and stuff like that and putting a lot more resources than we do. Like I said, until it's, you know, so we're really good, you know, we're, we're, you know, as, as taking care of everybody else, you know, in the fire, I can't speak for the fire service, but in law enforcement, we're really good at taking care of everybody else, right? The community really bad at taking care of ourselves for the most part, right. you know, until it's too late, until people are killing themselves, until we get into a fight with our wife and push her and get drunk. And I mean, it's all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's, it, we, I think we need to do a better job until it gets to that point, you know, and it starts, in my opinion, when you're young, I mean, what do they teach you? You know, what we used to do, we used to go in there in law enforcement and teach grade school kids and, and elementary school, school kids about drugs, right? Okay, because you get them when they're young, we could do the same thing better than we're doing with young officers and saying these are the effects, this is what's going to happen. Pretty good chance if you ignore this stuff and suppress it. You know, I had a great guy, I can't remember his name, but he was he was the one of the firefighters that responded to the Oklahoma City bombing. And he was the one on Time Mag, he was on my show, just an amazing guy. And I can't remember his name. Uh, <laughs> it's just feel horrible, I can't remember his name. But he was the one carrying the baby on Time Magazine. And I was talking to him on my show and he was a young officer or a young firefighter at that time. And he was like, nah, just buried it, buried it. And then what do you think happened? Stuff you don't hear, he talks about it now. You know, I remember hearing about that stuff when I was a young firefighter. I heard it once and it was gone. That, that, that uh, incident changed his life, changed everybody's life. But he was, the, and he couldn't, he couldn't escape that. And it manifested in, you know, suicidal tendencies, ideations, his, his relationship failed, you know, thank God he was able to save his, his marriage. And I, and I just, I, I bring that up again, not, you not to brag about the show. I'm just saying that he was a young firefighter that, you know, yeah, nothing's going to affect me. It will look, we're human. There's only so much trauma and human suffering. Like I said, you can see, I don't care how tough you think you are. It will affect you down the road. It will. Uh, and the more, in my opinion, the more we can talk about this to our young officers and young first responders, I think the better we prepare them for, you know, you can't make anybody do anything. I mean, you can voluntold people to do stuff, but 
you know, the more education and the more stuff we have available for young officers and not even young officers, just, you know, people that have been doing it for a while, the better off we're going to be, I think, with trying to get a handle on, you know, depression rates and first responder communities, suicide rates. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough topic. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I, I've talked about this, uh, quite a bit and, I'm really trying to reduce the stigma uh, surrounding seeking assistance. And part of it, I think, goes to it is a responsibility of our senior people mm -hmm. be, being good leaders and, and looking out for the well-being and that mindset of their success is my success. If I can help them get beyond that stigma, if I can help them not suffer the way that I have or whatever, if, yeah. if, if they can take these young, these young probationary officers, firefighters under their wing and be like, look, this is the stuff you're going to see. Yeah. Initially, it's, you know, that what we got into the business for, you know? Yeah. But it's going to add up. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Exactly everything that you were just saying. But I, I, I do believe that there is a sense of responsibility that our oh, absolutely. people should have. I, I absolutely. And then a big part of this falls on leadership. But I would just piggyback on what you said, brother. You know, if you and I are young firefighters and, and, you know, we have no rank and we're not leaders or anything, and I notice a, a behavioral change in you and you notice one in me, I think we have a duty as friends and as fellow coworkers to, to call each other out on that. Dude, what's going on, man? What's going on in your life? You know, I'm worried about you. What I've seen throughout my career in some instances, not all instances, is, you know, really good friends, but yeah, it's just, it's just Patrick, you know, it's just, yeah, he's just, maybe he's just having a bad day. And we all have bad days, like we said at the beginning. But if that's the behavior now, something's going wrong. And I hate leadership can't, they don't catch everything. So if they should catch a lot more than they do. But, you know, I mean, if you and I are buddies, like I said, and I, I noticed something's going on. I mean, you're talkative all the time, dude, or, or, but now you're silent or, or and it's prolonged and it's, it's going out day after day after day. And, and I have a duty as your friend to step in even though how, and how uncomfortable it is to say, man, what's going on, man? Can I help you with anything? I mean, what, so I think, you know, the more eyes we have on this, the better off it's going to be. It can't just be on leadership. And I'm not saying you're saying that. I think leadership is an important role, yeah. but I think it's everybody within an organization. It, it, it's everybody from the, you know, the, you know, the, the new person, you know, to, to all the way up to the top. Everybody has a responsibility. Can you imagine being that person? Like if, you and I, buddy, we're, you know, we're close, we're friends, we're hanging out all the time. I notice a behavioral change, a pattern change or whatever, your, your attitude is, is going down the tube. And then I didn't say anything because I just don't want to, I don't want to say anything, man. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to upset him. And then God forbid you do something to yourself. And I'm like, holy shit, I had, I should have said something. And that is about me. It's about you. But I'm like, I, I should have stepped in, you know, and, and said something. So I agree with you. I mean, it, 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 it's the stigma it's a culture within an organization. I think every, every organization has their own different culture, which is another topic on itself. Yeah. 
is we have to change the culture. I was fortunate enough to be in an organization where, you know, officers were encouraged to come forward and, and they weren't labeled or stigmatized and they weren't saying, uh, you know, and if we, if that did happen, we would shut that shit down and, and, you know, or do the best job we can, but that comes from leadership, you know, that, that type of culture. So I was really, you know, blessed to be in, in an environment where if we had an OIS, an officer involved shooting, I, we, we had one a couple of years before I left, you know, everybody's going through that debrief and we're going to have counselors right there. Well, I don't need, you're going, I'm volunteering you to do it. Whether you sit there with your arms crossed, I don't need this shit, but you're going to listen. Um, and again, most of the officers, you know, they're open to that now and they're open, you know, to, to, I had an officer come to me, you know, a couple of years back and, you know, he went to his, you know, Sergeant, you know, followed chain of command. He came to me and he was having problems in his relationship and he wanted to let me know in case I appreciate that. Oh my God. So we have a conversation. So, but it's, it's becoming, you know, at least again, it depends on where you're at. It just depends on where you're at. But I, I do think like in my area, my neck of the woods, you know, uh, I think it's getting better and better with the stigmatizing of, oh shit, you know, uh, Patrick needs help. And we're, I don't want to work with that guy anymore. It's, it's, it, there's too much of it going on, brother, for, for it to, we have to change. And, you know, I think it's becoming more and more normal. I hate to say it, officers that are, that are suffering with stuff. And so I think we have to adapt. And again, in my neck of the woods, in my world, right, you know, where I'm, because I'm still tuned into the law enforcement around here, you know, they're, they're, they're more accepting of it and they're, they're not going to stigmatize and, you know, and everybody goes through shit. You know that everybody has baggage, you know, everybody has it. It's how you deal with it. And uh, again, I, I remember as a young officer being in, you know, critical incidents is all right, man, do your paperwork, get back out there. It's not, again, I can't speak for everybody out there. I don't think it's like that anymore. You know, it's getting a lot better uh, with peer support and all these other, you know, e you know, employee assistance. I think it depends on where you're at, but uh, peer support groups are very popular now uh, where I'm at and we got a lot more resources. I do think we need a lot more, you know. Thank you so much for, for talking about all of that with me. Oh yeah. There's uh on, on my website, I've got a whole page dedicated to mental health resources. Yeah. So if anybody listening is in one of those places right now, there's, uh, there's resources out there for, for law enforcement and uh, fire department. There's so many resources that are, yeah. that are free that can, can get you beyond that that broken feeling. Yeah. You know, you just got to take that first step, man. And, and like you said, brother, I mean, there's, you know, you, you just have to take that first step and you, you know, nobody needs to suffer. Uh, there's a lot of help out there. And uh, you know, like you said, you're, there's the resources on your page. I talk about it a lot on my show. I uh, put a lot of stuff in my show notes regarding resources. The bottom line is that you can't, you, you know, you, nobody expects you to do this alone. You know, there's a lot of resources out there. In, and uh, you're not going to be judged. At least I hope you're not. Uh, but uh, you know, you just need to reach out for help. You know, a lot of stuff out there. There, um, I joined several Facebook groups mm -hmm. that are geared towards uh, fire service, PTSD type deals, and it it kind of blew me away when I was yeah. reading some of these posts that 
it, it seems to be smaller departments really have that stigma and those individuals that are suffering are doing it by themselves and they're yeah. uh, hats off to them for reaching out into the Facebook world to try and yeah get that friendly ear because they're not getting it at their agency. Yeah. And that's a leadership issue, man. I mean, that's, that, you know, is a direct, in my opinion, that's directly, you know, leadership. I mean, with all the stuff that's going on, it's always been going on, you know, brother, but with COVID and all, we're already isolated now. I was talking to officers now that, you know, they're wearing masks and stuff. They have to obviously, but they, they feel more isolated than, than ever you know, and, you know, a lot of them are depressed and things like that. But like you said, the point is, you know, that's a leadership issue that that is a leadership issue within smaller agencies, every agency where leadership needs to say, all right, you know, times are tough, they've always been tough. But, you know, we're here for you. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to provide you the resources to get you the help you need. And again, I think I'm blessed to have, you know, worked in an agency, my last agency that was really, really good with recognizing this and being on top of it instead of you know being more reactive they were a lot more proactive when it came to getting you know some resources out in front of the officers and you know really being dialed into and that's another thing too i mean knowing your troops you know i mean for the frontline supervisors out there you know and even command staff and people in the higher echelons you got to know your people man i mean you have to know you got it. I mean, you don't need to know every intimate detail about their lives, but you should know your people and get to know them. And, and the reason I say that, obviously, because it's good leadership. But second of all, you're going to notice behavioral changes. You know, if something go, goes south or somebody starts acting weird or shutting down, the better you know somebody, the better you're going to recognize that and get ahead of it. So, again, those are all leadership, you know, uh, things that uh, every leader could do better at. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of resources out there, man. I mean, like you said, brother, I mean, and uh, yeah, just, uh, it's, it's a tough environment, man. It's always been a tough environment, but, you know, thank God people are, are getting into it like we talked about. And, but, you know, like you said, there's a lot of resources out there that people are suffering. And thank you so much for uh, anytime, brother, for allowing me to interview you and, and for anybody listening uh, cjevolutions.com and the CJ Evolutions uh, podcast yep. with uh, Pat Fitzgibbons. And, yep. um, and this has been great. I, you know, I got to be honest, I haven't had an opportunity to listen to your podcast yet. We got introduced uh, by a mutual friend and yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this happened really quick. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to your podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it, brother. Um, and yeah, uh, I will be, well, I'll probably finish the book tonight. It looks like. Yeah, let me uh, know. Let me know. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, I appreciate you uh, letting me come on your show, brother. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, All right, man. Well, you have a, have a great night and I'll uh, talk to you again soon, I'm sure. All right, brother. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hallenbockleadership.com for additional content. Dave's goal is to add value to as many people as possible. So if he can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with him via email or on one of his social media accounts linked on the homepage of his website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. 
and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.